0: Said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. If it's true, of infinite importance, the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. So don't leave this afternoon kind of resting in mediocrity. You're going to have to be one or the other. So John 9 highlights various people, and we'll, we'll get to this as we go through, um, who are blinded to who Jesus is, blinded physically. Blinded culturally, and then blinded by their own choice. And if you're like me, you like to know the direction of a talk, so this is going to take 20 minutes on the nose, not including the reading. Um, there's, uh, There's three segments. So I'll start, and I'm going to really set quite a bit of context. So probably the first 10 minutes before we hear the first part of the reading will be context. Then we'll get the account... And then at the end, we'll get some application. And during that time, I'll invite people to come up and pray. So we'll have a kind of merged ending. So who do we see Jesus is? I thought a great way to start was to interview some colleagues at work. So I asked them, who do you think Jesus is? And these are direct quotes from my work colleagues. Jesus is a very kind man born over 2,000 years ago. He was a firm believer in love and sharing Another said that he had many followers who believed in his faith and religion. Um, Someone could only come up with a tall man with a long beard, um, but he isn't the brightest. Uh, And um, (laughs) some said he was loved by many, and one said he was an inspirational speaker. Interestingly enough, none of them doubted that there was a man called Jesus who really lived, because they're also in the same camp as any decent historian. No one disbelieves that a man called Jesus didn't live. So who did the early readers of John's Gospel, uh, who did they see Jesus was? And we need to set the context, really. So picture the scene. It's AD 90. John, the author, is an old man, and he's hearing these accounts about who Jesus is, and they're misrepresenting. It's false news. So the false news was a claim that when Jesus was a child, someone pushed him over, so he cursed him with leprosy. Wrong. Someone else uh, said that he'd made these little uh, clay birds, blessed them, and they flew away. Wrong, because we know Jesus didn't start doing any miracles till he was 30. And there was this real confusion about whether God, Jesus was God or not. So who is better in a position to say who Jesus really was than John? It's a little bit like a former teammate, maybe claiming that England didn't win the World Cup in 1966, but in fact Germany did, or something similar to that like that. So we can kind of picture you know, how far ahead we are, and the fact that John suddenly feels he needs to set the, uh, set the truth straight. So what was the issue? What was the main fake news? Well, there were four broad opinions on who they thought Jesus was. And as I list them, you will recognize that we have them all today. So a little definition, divinity or divine means of God. So the first one was that Jesus was more divine Than human, so he didn't really experience humanity. That was one of the thoughts going round. Um, We know that's not true because the Bible lists uh, Jesus having human emotions. He was hungry, he was tired, Jesus wept. Okay, what about uh, the other uh, opinion was he was more human than divine? Well, that's my colleague's response, isn't it? Easier to accept because if he's God, then that would demand a response. So what about the third option? He was partly human, partly divine. Uh, Well, that's still taught today by the Jehovah's Witnesses, who view Jesus as demigod, semi-human. Or this fourth opinion, which is what John is explaining, that God was fully God and fully human. And, um, you know, theologically, that's crucial, isn't it? Because only one who is fully divine and fully human can save mankind from sin. So that's John's view, that's the view I believe in, and that's what John is setting out to write. So he writes John's gospel. And he does it quite cleverly, because what he does is he uses seven witnesses, seven signs, and seven statements that Jesus says about himself. Why does he choose seven? Well, seven we know is a whole number, it's a perfect number. It would be akin to me saying, oh, I know that person 100%, or I've got a 360-degree view of this. It's completeness. So John lists off uh, various witnesses, statements, and miracles. And if you hadn't realized, we have been following a series, this term, which is all of those working our way through John. Um, and so this feels a little bit like a previously at ENC, and then you'll recognize some that you've already heard. Um, and so the witnesses, John the Baptist, Nathaniel, Peter, Martha, Thomas, John, Jesus himself... John chooses seven. We know in Jewish law you probably only needed two or three to convict a criminal or to convict something in court. John chooses seven. It's over and above what he needs. And he does it because it's the perfect number to testify that Jesus really was the Son of the living God. Seven statements about himself I'm the bread of of heaven after feeding the 5,000. I'm the light of the world. I am the door, I am the true vine, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. Seven statements, and then seven signs or miracles. So a sign points the way, and Jesus did more than these seven signs, but John chose them because all of them could only have been done by someone who was God. Interestingly, he doesn't include casting out demons because other people were doing that at the time. So he chooses seven that are only to be done by God. And it's kind of a bit like if I wanted to say, like, Bob's a really nice guy, and then I would list off. He invited someone for dinner. List one person. I don't need to list all the people he's invited for dinner because I'm proving the point. Oh, he's a nice guy because he pays for coffee. And I could try and think of a time when Bob's paid for coffee. And, uh, and then I would list that off. So he's just picking up, and these are the seven signs. So, um, So he turns water into wine. He heals the nobleman's son while miles away from him. He heals the man by the pool in Bethesda who'd been there for 38 years, suffering from a chronic condition. He feeds the 5,000. He walks on water. He gives sight to the man who is blind from birth. And he's raising Lazarus from the dead. So this evening, or this afternoon, we're going to look at the sixth sign, the healing the man born blind. And in a minute, James is going to read the first part of the account, which starts with, as Jesus was walking along... He saw a man born blind. But I'm not sure if, if like me, and you watched Top Gun, the second one, you've got to have seen the first one to have understood the second one. So that short statement has so much information behind it. So I'm going to set the scene before James reads, and it will really bring it to life. So this is set in Jerusalem. We're in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Jesus is walking with his disciples and they say rabbi or teacher, and then they ask him a question. This was really normal. If you were around in the 1990s, you definitely would have had one of those really awful bands that said WWJD, what would Jesus do? And you would ask yourself a question, what would Jesus do in this situation? Well, of course, this is what they're doing. They're walking with their teacher. They're walking with their rabbi. You know, bear in mind, there weren't any Christians because Jesus hasn't died yet. So we're walking along, and we're trying to find out what Jesus would do. What would he do in this situation? What's his thinking about this? What would he do here? So they're walking close behind him and they're going to ask him a question. It is the Festival of Light or the Feast of the Tabernacle. So this is a major Jewish festival that remembers God's provision in the wilderness and also looks ahead to a promised Messiah. So our second definition is Messiah. Messiah is one who's been chosen to save humankind. So like at Christmas, we all think of the baby Jesus. It's on our minds. People are always talking about Jesus being born. So during the Feast of the Tabernacles, they will be looking ahead to a promised Messiah. And there'll be certain verses because we know in Jewish culture, they'll know their Bible really well. They'll know their first five bits, the Torah, because that's their education. It'll be on their minds during this feast. And two areas will come to mind. So the verses that promise the Messiah, written 700 years before, blind will see through the gloom and darkness, Isaiah 29, 18. And when he... The Messiah comes, he will open the eyes of the blind. Isaiah 35, 5. Written 700 years before, we're at the Feast of the Tabernacles, they're walking with Jesus, they've all got this going on in their minds, and bang, this is what's going to happen. So they walk up and they see a man born blind begging. Oh, I'm not sure why I wrote that, that's quite hard to say. They saw a man born blind begging and asked Jesus why he's born blind. So there'd be various thoughts in the time of why someone would be born blind. And they wanted to know which tradition Jesus was aligning himself to. And there was a misconception in Jewish culture that an individual suffering was the result of personal sin. But this is not the case. That would create a religion about following rules. And if you broke them, you'd get some sort of punishment. Maybe consider Hinduism with the concept of karma. So that's not the case. So let's, James, if you're happy to read the first part.
1: Jesus heals a man born blind. As he went along, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Thanks, James.
0: Okay, what happens next? So the account is now going to switch to various people uh, who come into contact. And that's how the story works. We're going to work through various people and look at their reaction. Remember the question, who do we see Jesus to be? And you'll see that they all have a different reason. So the first is the neighbors. So what we're going to hear about is the neighbors and they're going to go and find out, you know, well, what happened? Let's ask the neighbors. And the neighbors... Uh, they ask the man about it, and they can't actually believe it's him. He's been born blind. No one gets healed from blindness. Um, And so they think this explanation is so extraordinary, they take him to see the Pharisees. And then in a moment, we're going to hear about the Pharisees, and it's worth a little explanation on who the Pharisees were. So earlier, I said that the disciples asked Jesus a question around why the man was born blind, because they wanted to know which tradition he fell into. And so at the time, there were probably four traditions, Pharisee, Sadducees, Essence, and Zealots. And I suppose the analogy is a bit like a political party today. Some would have core members, but the rest of us would align ourselves to one or the other, maybe through family, maybe through kind of ethos, or oh, I'm a little bit labor, or I'm a little bit left, or, you know, I live in Bristol. Um, and so, um, you know, there'd be your options. And so uh, it's kind of like the same. And the Pharisees um, were the largest of all. So they were a um, a national organisation with local groups. That's worth bearing in mind. They were the most important religious group, and ordinary people held them with great respect. Bear in mind the Pharisees are expectant of a Messiah, so they're waiting for this promised person to arrive. But really what they did is they amassed rules and regulations to protect the law. The law was God's word spoken through Moses, and it was so precious, they protected it with a ring of rules. So there's one, obviously, in the Ten Commandments, most famously says, keep the Sabbath day holy. So they set a rule that if you were a, uh, a, um, a tailor, you couldn't have a needle in your pocket the day before the Sabbath in case you forgot it was there, and then you were found to be working on the Sabbath by having it in your, in your pocket. So forgetting the real law, they built these rules. So rule-keeping rule was all about um, the Pharisees. And last week, Tabby um, talked about how the Pharisees set a trap for Jesus by bringing the woman in. Look, you know, sometimes when we read the Bible, um, we can, especially we've read it quite a bit, we can get quite blasé. Um, you've got to remember, Jesus threatened the status of the Pharisees. He threatened their tradition um, for rules. And in their view... He threatened their very reason to exist. Professionally, I have stood between opposing views. Not people who just think it's a particularly bad idea, but their very heart, their very belief system opposes the other people. And I've stood in the middle, and it is highly charged, highly emotive. You know, they're both absolutely right. So that's where the Pharisees are at. They see Jesus as the biggest threat to their way of life, and something needs to happen. Okay, With that in mind, James.
1: Okay, the Pharisees investigate the healing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, "No, nah, he only looks like him. But the man himself insisted, I am he. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. "'Where is this man?' they asked him. "'I don't know,' he said. "'They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. "'Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud "'and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. "'Therefore the Pharisees also asked him "'how he had received his sight. "'He put mud on my eyes,' the man replied. "'And I washed, and now I see.' Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see? or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind, Uh, Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from,
0: Thanks, James. So the Pharisees, ignoring the life-changing healing, they latch on to the activity taking place on the Sabbath. He's a rule-breaker. Therefore, Jesus must be a sinner. And if he's a sinner, how can he heal? Blinded by their religious traditions, they ask the man. I love it. He's a little bit of a scoundrel, isn't he? He's a bit laid back. He doesn't really care for authority. Uh, He just says, uh, he must be a prophet. Step one. He must be a prophet. You'll watch as this man's journey unfolds through this story and he changes his mind. So he, he, he says he's a prophet. So the Pharisees call the parents. Um, look, we need Jesus not to be God. I don't really mind how this healing's happened. Perhaps he wasn't born blind. That would be perfect. Let's get the parents across. The parents come over and we want to find an obvious explanation. Just bear in mind that the society of the time was based around the synagogue so state synagogue like everything was all kind of much more mixed together than it is now where it's all separate so the parents would have been worried about being kicked out of the synagogue because with that would have gone their status so they're very careful with their understanding they're very vague on who Jesus is they don't want to be quoted as saying he is God maybe that sounds familiar maybe we know people who don't want to say Jesus is God because they don't want other people to hear and they don't want to be kicked out of society so, they did what every good parent should do, nice and slopey shoulders, and they send it on to their child, who's clearly a grown man. He can answer for himself. So, they pull the grown man before him again. So, the man goes before the Pharisees. How did he heal you? They demanded. Look, this is going to be high octane. The Pharisees are invested and passionate. They know the man was born blind at birth, but they need an explanation. Anything will do, just not Jesus is God. His reply, I told you once, you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And then the off-the-cuff remark, which we all enjoyed, do you want to become one of his disciples? I love it. He cares little for the Pharisees. So they kick him out because the man goes on with a simple explanation that if Jesus was not God, how could he have been healed? So the next step of his journey into seeing God Is that he sees Jesus as God. And then we'll just have the last verse, a last couple of verses from James.
1: Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? the man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see. And those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were there with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains.
0: Thanks, James. Okay, so who does Jesus say? So Jesus asks the man, do you believe in the Son of Man? Verse 36, the man replies, who is he, sir? Because I would like to. Verse 37, Jesus replies, you've seen him. He is speaking to you. Verse 38, I believe. And then he worshiped Jesus, the third step of seeing who Jesus is. How often do we hear people say, oh, I would believe in God if only I could see him. My reply, the Gospels give you an account of God living in a fully human form so we can understand it. We can read about what God is like through Jesus and we can experience what God is like through the Holy Spirit. I am no mug. I've spent like the last 20 years sifting through some evidence to make sure I'm not going to be mugged off, okay? This is true. This is true stuff. The claims of Jesus add up. And I'm witnessing the power of the Holy Spirit all the time. Too many times for it just to be a coincidence. Last week, a great friend of mine needed to provide some accommodation for someone. So he asked some other people who were unrelated. Bear in mind, accommodation in Exeter costs £55 a night. So he prayed. He asked these unconnected, unrelated people whether they could just share a bit of money. He collected the money. As he got outside, he counted it. How much was it? 55 pounds. Not 54, not 56. God's still working now. So we can read about what God is like in the Gospels and we can experience what God is like now. So does this apply to us? Who do you see who Jesus really is? Because what we understand of Jesus today makes us live differently and distinctively tomorrow. I'm just going to reflect using the four people who were, or four groups of people who were mentioned throughout the account. And as we do so, we'll just give people an opportunity to come up and pray. So if you're on the prayer team, you can kind of stand by. And then in a moment, I'll call you up. Okay, so perhaps you're like the neighbors. The thought that Jesus can do huge transformation in people's lives is too much to believe. Perhaps, like my work colleagues, you're happy for Jesus to be a historical person good at teaching, fine for others. But I want to challenge you today. The book of John has laid a case for Christ, being fully man and fully God. Is that claim, is that claim credi- credible? And if in a moment, just I want you just to come up and pray. It's your chance to move the theory of Jesus being God through to the experiencing him as you pray with our prayer team. So maybe we'll get the prayer team up now. There you go. And then perhaps you're like the family. Perhaps you have a family member or a friend who's into Jesus. You're happy for them, but the reality of accepting who Jesus is will upset your everyday life. It's easier for them to be into Jesus because if you accept who Jesus is, you'll have to have a response. Lots of people don't want to explore that Jesus is God because that would demand a response from us. Are you concerned what it would mean if you declared Jesus was Lord over your life? So maybe if that's you, we'll get you to come up and pray. Or perhaps you're like the blind man. You've never even heard of this Jesus before. This talk has all been new. In fact, you're not even sure how you're in this church building today. But you know what? That one encounter, the man knew that Jesus was God. He didn't fully understand the theological necessities of whether Jesus having to be fully man and fully God to fulfill the promise of making us whole with God. God's perfect, we're not. Jesus dying gives us that relationship. He didn't understand all that. But look, this is your chance to come forward. You know, you'll start to understand more stuff as you go to Alpha, read the Bible with other people. You may still be thinking, well, I don't really get it because how could a God of love allow suffering in Turkey? We're talking about Jesus. Come forward. Let's pray for you uh, now as well. And then the last one the last challenge is perhaps you're like the Pharisee. This challenge is for those of us who've been around church for a while. This will be uncomfortable as we consider deep and disturbing questions. And I know I can slip into this category. Can we recognize ourselves in the Pharisees? They revered the scriptures, they took part in helpful practices. Fasting, praying, studying the Bible. They worshipped and they gave sacrificially to God's work. But where we value rules and tradition above the Spirit, where we're unable to rejoice in the saving and renewing of lives as it doesn't quite fit into our neat, well-maintained theological group, where we secretly feel that we are made right with God because of our church activities, we become the Pharisee. The hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, asks... Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And that quote I said at the beginning by C.S. Lewis, if Christianity is false, it's of no importance. If it is true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Is our view of Jesus dimmed? Is it reduced? Am I willing only to release maybe a percentage of my life, my all? So let's just take that opportunity today to come forward and pray. Let's reset. Let's experience Jesus in a way that allows us to give all of our life and all of our all. Amen.